I'm Carol Coletta, and this is Night Cities. Before planning fatigue sets in, why not just build a better block? That's the approach of Jason Roberts, who leads Team Better Block. He's a charismatic guy who works with communities, first his own in Oak Cliff, Texas, and now with communities around the world, to turn vacant and underused properties into lively, thriving blocks that showcase what's possible today in a neighborhood. He usually has to break a few laws to do it, but the result is places people love and want to be. It's an approach that employs acting your way to success versus planning your way to success. Jason, what is the Better Block Project? The Better Block Project something we started back in 2010, uh, where we took a, a couple of blocks in our community in Salus that had suffered from high disinvestment and a lot of vacancies and had streets that had been overbuilt, so they're too wide back in the like 70s era. And, these, and we had these old buildings from, from kind of pre-war that were built up to the sidewalk lines. And anyways, the Better Block itself was this project where we looked at trying to find out why these places were vacant and what could we do to, to rapidly transform them and make them into a place that people would want to go to. So uh, what we ended up doing was bringing together a handful of people from the community and saying, well, what can we do in days and not years? Let's stop the planning process. And the Better Block basically became this project where we, we got together and we rapidly started filling in all of the uh, the vacant spaces with the businesses we wish we had. So coffee shops, flower shops, art galleries. And then we started changing the roadway itself to add more uh, irresistible bike and pedestrian accommodations. So bicycling, bike lanes, uh, wider sidewalks, cafe seating, uh, and, but really what kind of put the project over the edge was we ended up printing off all the rules and ordinances we were breaking and putting those in the windows so everyone could see that these great things that we have on uh, this block now that we all can agree we love to, to keep here, they're largely either cost prohibitive or just or, or not allowed uh, via the zoning or uh, exist ordinances that, that uh, preclude some of this development. So the Better Block itself is just a rapid urban revitalization uh, project that we started in Dallas and it, it took off and went far beyond our, our, our wildest dreams. You say far beyond our wildest dreams. How many projects have you now done? Probably managed or curated about 30 ourselves, but we open sourced the idea so uh, anyone could do the project. And so there's there's been hundreds that have taken place all over the world at this point. Um, in fact, we, we have a hard time even keeping up at this point because there's so many going on. And how many of those have resulted in some sort of permanent change? I would say of the projects that we've worked on, there's been a, a physical change that you're going to see in the, in the built environment. About 70 to 80 percent of the projects we've worked on, we've seen some kind of physical change. So either a, a businesses that stuck on the ground, or uh, infrastructure improvements that were uh, that stayed, trees getting planted from the project, or bike lanes being installed, or things like that. One of the great things about Better Block Projects, one of the reasons it seems to be so powerful, besides your evangelizing, which is very effective, um, is the fact that, and you said it, is that people can see change so quickly. What is it about quick wins that creates momentum for physical change in communities? I think the traditional planning process is is so lengthy, kind of tiresome to most people. It starts off with this big bang, a lot of excitement and bring this energy to an area, but then the, the fruits of the work that go that take place in the planning process aren't really realized until years down the line. And what tends to happen is that when this traditional planning occurs, 
it, it can the community can start to become overplanned because you'll have momentum at one point in time where you'll have maybe a council member that's excited about change on the ground, or maybe you have a, a community leader, and these leaders that can change with time. And so once those leaders move on, if something hasn't physically been manifested onto the street after their tenure is up or they've moved on, uh, then you have a new leadership take place, and they'll bring in more planners. And then after a while, the people that are on the ground will start to get this planning fatigue because all they're seeing is a lot of, like, visualization exercises and, and charrettes and discussions. We've found that, you know, going in, and it's been really our, our big win is to go to communities and say, look, I know you, you see planners all the time, but we, we're here to actually create action. We're going to have things be built on the ground in days and not in years it's been this rallying cry for these communities, and it's been amazing. We've, we've been surprised to have very few reticence from, from folks within the community when we're doing these projects because I think at this point they understand that, like, look, you know, we would love to have these big ambitious projects occur or, or large capital improvements, but the reality is, like, nothing seems to ever be hitting the ground, and we would like to just see just small improvements if we could do anything. So the better block is that stake in the ground that just begins that work and says, okay, let's not making assumptions that we know what's going to be best for the community, but let's grab everybody and all the resources we have in, in a neighborhood, bring them to the single area, and start pinpointing some action on the ground to get us all barn building together, discussing what kind of future we'd like to have together, and really trying to kind of game the system a bit and get these folks in a community motivated to continue to take ownership of their blocks. Jason, you mentioned earlier that in a Better Block project, the first one you did, you posted the rules that you had to break, the ordinances you had to defy to do the Better Block project. Do you find that uh, with most of the projects you do, it's a matter of not enough money, not enough imagination, or too many rules that keep, that prohibit uh, people from doing what ought to be done that stand in the way of making better blocks? I would say at this point, there we have been, we've had great community rules. That's, so innovation is being stymied uh, in a lot of these communities. Other issues we have are just kind of a lack of communication or this lack of ownership by community and realizing that they too own this public space and they have the ability to, to be that that, you know, we, we often talk about this, and I know you and I have had these conversations about how people think of this government as the other, and the reality is we are the government. We are that institution that can create those changes on the ground. So what we found is, like, money honestly can be a, a problem uh, with the planning process. When you walk in the door, because everybody will tell you we, just, we can fix all of our problems, we just need money, but the reality is when you, you come to the table and you bring a lot of money, uh, it's gonna, the, the community at that point is going to start – kind of having this infighting over what should be done with those funds. And then you have this fear of permanency that's going to hit the ground. Because people are saying, well, we've got all this money. Let's not make let's not make any mistakes here. So let's we need to build this. We need to build a resource center. And then some other group says, no, we need to build a library or no, we need to make the streets this way. And then so that money can be an obstacle early on. What we found is honestly the places that we've loved around the world have really been made up from people and the resources that they create on their own within those communities. And when you bring those things together and you start to allow them to mix and connect and you do these small interventions, you can come up with the bigger ideas later that might need funding. But in the beginning, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but we, we don't like to walk in the door saying that we, you know, we're going to go and bring a million dollars and make this a utopia because the reality is what makes places great are the people. So 
this process that we've stumbled on with our work was, was really getting people together and, and treating the community like you're not going to have these ideas exported from around the world. Honestly, treat your community like it's a series of ingredients and a recipe, and how could you combine these ingredients to make the best you know, a meal you possibly can? And, and really the byproduct of that is this major sense of identity because you're using the people and the resources on the ground, and you're getting this barn building exercise where the community realizes like, wow, we could do this together. What else could we do? Then you can start adding, you know, again, the funds and other things to the equation that make these things more permanent. I understand your point completely about money can be an obstacle if it's too much too soon. And I love your metaphors. But let, let me ask you this. There are some things that it do indeed take money. So are there things that you would like to test with a better block approach with that sort of faster, lighter, cheaper approach? that you simply can't test because, I mean, or is off limits in some way because it just doesn't lend itself to that kind of approach? Yes, uh, there are. I mean, I I would love to do even more innovative, like bicycle infrastructure in all of our projects. And the most innovative bike infrastructure you're going to get is the one that's physically separated from cars. And, And what we've learned around the world is if you want to Increase ridership to levels that are what you see in, in places where there's, you know, 40% modal share. It's because there is this not just physically separated from the cars, but it's grade separated as well, infrastructure. So there are instances, you know, what, what we're having to do with the ladder quicker, cheaper method is take an existing roadway that's maybe been overbuilt. And then we go in and, and we can realign the street with semi-permanent materials that can create that separation. But really to give people that experience that you're going to have in a place like Copenhagen or Amsterdam, it would be beneficial for us to actually create a, a grade-separated infrastructure. And that's just one example. You know, I would ideally on every project love to have, you know, five-inch caliper trees, you know, uh, that, and a 50 of a minimum. But that can be cost-prohibitive for us in a project, so we have to come up with creative ways with the community to figure out how can we get the same thing but without the funds that are typically available to bring in those type of resources. The nice thing that we found, though, is oftentimes we find people in the community that have these things available, and maybe they have this large landscaping firm or something like that, you know, that does a lot of great work in the community. And then on the weekend, they don't really have, you know, they've got these major tractors and, and semis and, and all these resources that we can say, well, now that we've been using this during the week, can we take a weekend and start reappropriating these in, this, in our projects and let people see how they could be used? And we've been surprised at seeing the folks that own these businesses in the community. They're very mindful of, of you know, of course, they've got to make money at the end of the day, but they, they want to see their own community do great and thrive. And if they can be a, a part of that equation, we've been surprised to see what resources they brought to the table for us on every one of these projects. Does City Hall consider you friend or foe? So initially, they considered us a foe. The city in the past has had to do 80% of the heavy lifting through the planning process. And when we're saying, well, you know what, let us do with the community 50% of this work and, and queue it all up for you, the city at that point realizes, you know, this makes our job so much easier. You guys have identified a problem. You've rallied the community. You've done the communication piece for us. You put a vision and an idea out there. We typically hire consultants for to talk and discuss and do some planning initiatives. But you've already, you've gathered people, you've gathered resources, you've actually shown what you want to see on the ground. At this point, all we have to do is come up with a plan to install these things. So we found now the cities have been our allies, but it definitely started off as this unsanctioned guerrilla activity. But it was amazing, actually how quickly we saw this change in these cities that saying, look, we are stuck in like analysis paralysis and communities actually no longer, again, they have this, this kind of uh, planning fatigue uh, and they've seen this better block process be this new answer that kicks things into action 
again, one quick anecdote, which is I thought was funny. I was in Australia speaking, and I had this, this group came out and said, you know, the government brought me out from New South Wales. Yeah, they brought us into this room, and I gave my presentation talking about the Better Block Project. Uh, at the end of it, they told me, you know, just so you know, there's a lot of distrust between the community and government. So, and sure enough, when I was through, you know, people were very uh, excited about the presentation and liked the idea. But then they turned around and started getting upset with, with the government officials in the room, and they started asking questions like, are they going to start sanctioning more urban guerrilla activities? Which I thought, you know, was, was really funny, like, because how, how do you sanction guerrilla activities? But even beyond <laughs> that, that what was really telling in this process was city officials recognized, like, we, we understand that we are stuck and nothing is happening and we need things to, to move and change. And I told them, like, you realize they brought me in here and I'm telling you how I had to break rules to make changes occur. And they, so they're, they're essentially telling you at this point, since nothing is happening, you guys break into eggs here so we can make some omelets. And, and that's so telling. And I've had that happen actually in cities all over the place. Jason, we're so honored to have you as a grantee of Knight Foundation. You have taught us so much, and I'm so glad you could be our guest today on Night Cities. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Jason Roberts is co-founder of Team Better Block. You can follow us on Twitter at a hashtag Night Cities and at C. Coletta. Find out first when new conversations are posted by signing up for our newsletter at knightfoundation.org forward slash features forward slash Night Cities. You've been listening to Night Cities. I'm Carol Coletta.